God's Word, the book of Revelation. We're getting close to the end. Verses 1 through 5, we see a further description, description of the glory of New Jerusalem, of the city of God in which he dwells. Revelation chapter 22, beginning in verse 1. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp, nor light of sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Thus far, the reading of God's words, you may be seated. Let me pray now for the blessing of the preaching of it. Lord, we come to you, and we would ask that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be found acceptable in your holy and awesome sight. We then pray these things in your holy name. Amen. I can think of no greater visible sign than the one we just saw in the pouring out and the washing of the Holy Spirit, a sign of God's covenant favor that he continues to redeem and his blessings of reconciliation, of peace, and the taking away of the curse endure even to this age. As we come to Revelation chapter 22, we come to a new chapter, but still a continued description of what we have seen before as it relates to the new heavens and the new earth and the city of God that is even now coming. Now, if you have not picked up on it, it is in part due to my own failure, I am sure, but also uh, many of us are getting over the baggage of bad preaching and interpretation of this glorious book that was not meant to confuse the saints or provide for a pastor a cryptic path to lucrative book contracts, but it is meant to express an encouraging word to the early church and to the church today what the city of God is like and how it is in the eyes of the world and even to our eyes when we see the church suffering, militant, here, John is writing to the early church prior to the fall of Jerusalem, and they are suffering under the weight of the persecutions of the beast, Nero. And there were many who gave themselves up, either by fear or simply by apostasy, to the false teachings, not only of Rome, but of the Jews of that day and others who were like them. Now, obviously, the Gnostic heresy comes in a little bit later, but it is an ancient, ancient theological error. There were many things that were threatening the church. And if there is anything that we ought to see in days of persecution, it is our true eternal identity. And what is going on behind the scenes? And so just prior to Revelation 22, we see what happens on the very last day of history. Now, what is the practical benefit of that? 
We know what's about to happen. We know what's coming. We know that as sure as Christ will visit judgment upon Jerusalem, which he did in A.D. 70, Christ will also destroy and send to hell death, Satan, the demons, and all of those who do not bear the name of Christ but bear the name of the beast. There will come a day when Christ will destroy the reign of death. There will come a day when Christ's kingdom has come in full to this earth as it is in heaven. And you and I ought to strive to be part of that city. And have every confidence that through Christ Jesus, even as we have confessed him, we are already citizens of that city. We are already with Christ, raised into heavenly places. And even as we worship on Sunday morning, our worship is brought before the throne. I, what a, an incredible reality we have. And it should stir our hearts, and it is meant to stir our hearts. Not only to be brave enough to go to the stake, to the noose, to the guillotine, but to, to say no in the, in the face of temptation. What is Temptation. It is, a, it is a calling to worship a God other than the God who made us. And next time you are tempted to sin, I want you to think of it that way. Someone breaks into your home, they take you by the arms, and they say, bow down to this bale. What will you say? You can't tell me what to do. <laughs> Don't you, is that not the American sentiment? Don't you tell me what to do. Will you listen Look at your new identity and what is coming. In fact, John focuses on Revelation 21. God is making all things new. Christ Jesus is making all things new. And not just a people, but a place. And so here in Revelation 22, we see the instrument that goes forth out into the world by which that newness comes. It is a river. And so I want us to look at this text, verses 1 through 5, under these two headings. Just two, from where the river comes, from where the river comes, and then secondly, what blessings the river brings. What blessings the river brings. Let's look at the first point, from where the river comes. This river, we read in verse 1, is a pure river. It is holy, it is clean. It is a living river, and it brings forth life. It is clear as crystal. It is pure and holy and undefiled, and it brings forth life. And it proceeds from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Now, the reason why John here says the throne of God and of the Lamb is because the throne once in es- well, still belongs to the Father. The Father... Because of the sacrifice of the Son, said to the Son, now that you have been obedient to the point of death, I will give you the crown, you will sit upon the throne. But in the book of 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes that when Christ's rule on earth in the manifestation of his kingdom here is complete, he will give back over to the throne, or the throne back over to the Father. So this is the throne of, 
the center of the universe, the center of the cosmos, the place where the Father and now Son rules as the Redeemer of the elect, who will bring all things under his feet. He will then give the throne back to the Father as sign that he has fulfilled what he has come to do in all of his expressed and manifested glory. And so this river comes forth from the Father and the Son. The Son who is the Lamb. John is referencing, of course, what we've already seen in the book of Revelation. The Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. The sacrifice for sinners. Jesus Christ our Lord. And it runs right down the center of the street. In fact, if you were to look at a map... And you were to look at the big cities in America, the majority of those cities are built either on an ocean, a big lake, or a river. Why? Because in order to build a city, you must get goods to that city. And in order to get large industrial goods to a city, you have to float them on a boat. And so, many of the cities in our own nation are built by navigable rivers. That means they're deep and they are wide. If you were to go to Savannah, oftentimes what you would see is they are continually dredging the river because sediment washes into the river, and if too much sediment comes in, big ships cannot come. This river is the beating heart. It is the very thing from which or out of which the city grows. It is the epicenter of the life and expansion of the city. Now what or who is the river? I think we all know this. John chapter 7, verse 37, Jesus says, On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. This answers the question to, why did Jesus say it was better to his disciples that he go to heaven so that he could sit upon the throne, the tap could get turned on, as it were, and the Spirit could rush forth into the nations to bring about the salvation of the lost. And so even now, what John sees is the means by which God builds and grows and establishes his church. It is through the Holy Spirit being poured out, running out into this world. And for the past 2,000 years... Christ has been glorified, right? Christ is glorified. Well, we speak of Christ's um, humiliation in his becoming a man under the law, his suffering under the law, his dying, his being buried, and then his exaltation consists of his resurrection and his ascension and his coronation, which is what gets Revelation kicked off, is the coronation of Jesus Christ. And for 2,000 years, the Holy Spirit has been working to bring life to dead, dry bones. To bring about resurrection glory. And to continue to do so until the city, by God's own decrees, has reached its measure. 
and is full of the children of God, who John says here at the end of this section, those who have their, um, uh, verse 4, they shall see his face and his name shall be on their foreheads. Everyone who is named by the Father through Christ will be members, citizens of that heavenly city. This is what the Spirit has been sent onto the world to do. And so I want you to think, I want you to have the image in your mind that John paints for us of a dry and desertous place. And as a river is opened and it begins to run through this dry and desertous place, what begins to spring up around it? Greenery, grass, plants, trees. In fact, this is no new vision in Scripture. In fact, this is why I preached on Ezekiel 47 at the beginning of my series on Revelation. It is because we have to understand what the kingdom is built upon. And what is the kingdom built upon? It is built upon the finished work of Christ Jesus, the Savior of sinners, who was sent by the Father. And even as Christ died, he brought that very thing through God's plan of redemption, that the Spirit would then apply to make men whole. The Spirit does not reply the redeeming work of the Father or of Himself. He applies the redeeming work of the Son. Now we'll look at the way the Spirit does that in a moment. But what the river of life brings about is the renewal, the restoration, the rebirth, of the world. In Zechariah chapter 14, verse 9, we read, And in that day it shall be that living waters shall flow from Jerusalem, half of them toward the eastern half, half of them toward the western sea. In both summer and winter it shall occur, and the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day it shall be, the Lord is one, and his name one. And Paul says of Christ what? That Christ came and in his body and in his blood he has broken down the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile. All are one in Christ Jesus. And so the river goes out into the world and it unifies, it builds, and from the work of the Spirit, a kingdom that is built upon the work of Christ. Oh my goodness. There's way too much going on right now in my head. (laughs) The finished work of Christ, he applies that to us. In Ezekiel chapter 47, Ezekiel sees a vision of a temple. Then he brought me back to the door of the temple. And there was water flowing from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the front of the temple faced east. The water was flowing from under the right side of the temple, south of the altar. Now, he sees this. Now, in my Ezekiel 47 sermon, I said the temple is the body of believers. It's the city of God, the holy habitation, that is us. The Spirit pours forth from the ministry of the church, word, prayer, and sacrament. And this is what it results in. The water is the Holy Spirit. Ezekiel then says in verse 7, when I returned there along the bank of the river were very many trees on one side and the other. Then he said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region. It goes down into the valley and enters the sea. When it reaches the sea, its waters are healed. That means they're made fresh. There's no more salt in them. 
And it shall be that every living thing that moves wherever the rivers go will live. There will be a great multitude of fish because these waters go there, for they will be healed and everything will live wherever the river goes. The Spirit has been sent out to prepare for Christ a place where he might dwell with his people for all eternity. And right now, since the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit has been busy through the mission and work of the church. Yes, even the local church. The local church. However small, however large, but wherever there is word, wherever there is prayer, wherever there is sacrament, wherever the proclamation of Christ's gospel goes forth, water comes out. It is through the church that the river runs. And so every Sunday, what is happening is a plumbing problem. We've had that before. I wasn't here that Sunday. You had to go eat outside. I know about plumbing problems. But this isn't a problem for the church. It's a problem for whom? The one who is at this point helpless to stop the tide. Satan, for we know that he is bound. And what we are called to do is to make hay. That means to have a really good time, to laugh and rejoice, to sing and to dance, and to be overwhelmed and go forth into all the world because the promise is that the city of God will grow. Our mission is to get the world wet. And this is what Paul speaks of in Romans 10. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. How do we get the world wet? We preach. We bear witness to the truth of Christ's death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. And whenever the word is preached, what does Christ say in John chapter 4? Where there is word, wherever there is truth, there is spirit. And he says this to his disciples once he calls them to see that the Samaritans are the field into which they are to go. They are white into harvest. And what Christ is promising is this, that wherever we go with the word of God, there will be those who spring up like trees planted by the stream of the river of life that is the Holy Spirit. Our success then is tied definitively to the work that the Spirit does. Which means there is no heavenly city growth without the true word of God proclaimed. When the church abandons the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, what they are experiencing is not heavenly city growth. It is what? It is something else. It is what we call in our Westminster Confession a den of the devil. It is a false gospel and so it is a false church. But wherever there is the spirit, what do we see? We see this garden city bringing forth life. 
and it is always in bloom. And what comes forth from the maturation of those who are planted by streams is fruit, it is green growth that heals the nations. This is what the Spirit brings. The renewal of a world that is dead, that is dry, that is a desertous place. This is what makes the old covenant unique from the new covenant. In the old covenant, Israel never got out of the desert, really. And even when they were planted in Israel, what did they do? They thought like Egyptians, always. They were ruled. Who were the Philistines? They were just descendants of Egypt. Did you know that? And they worshipped the same Egyptian gods with different names. They were never out of Egypt until the Messiah came. And David, for a time, relieved the burden of that Philistine people. But then Solomon, for a time, and others after Solomon, led Israel right back into that kind of idolatrous living. But now a greater Joshua, a greater David has come. And he has led us out of, permanently, a state of wilderness exile. And we are now, in Christ Jesus, part of a city that is planted here on earth. This is not a river that grows on some other, that, that flows on some other planet. Where does this river where is it being poured out even now? It is here. It's being poured out in Gaston County, for goodness sakes. And it flows forth not from that Jerusalem that is destroyed, but from a heavenly Jerusalem into all the earth. So what are the blessings then that the river brings? Well, it brings covenant fellowship and peace. It brings the shalom of Christ's reconciliation. The peace that the gospel brings is one that brings us into the city and plants us firmly within it. And the glory of that city is that there is no curse. Now, that does not mean that you and I do not endure the effects of the fall today. And there will come a time when Christ will finish the very thing that we cannot finish, the destruction of death. Again, we read this in 1 Corinthians 15. There shall come a time, however, when that city comes in full. So what I am saying is, even now, the city of God has been coming to earth for 2,000 years. And there are glimpses of the beauty and glory of it. This right here is the beauty and glory of it, but not fully realized. And every time you gather for worship, you taste and you see the beauty and the glory of our divine fellowship. And I would ask you this question. What better experience is there than to live and to experience the beauty and grace of God in your daily lives, week by week, 52 glorious days in which we say we are a city that is built up together. Right now in this country, what do we see? People are fleeing the city in droves. Why? Because the cities that are being built by man are not being built by cities of 
living water. They are literally built on empty cisterns that cannot hold water. They are empty places where ugly things... I mean, look at the buildings that are being built and the art. Have you seen some of the art that adorns the city centers that, is, that are built in this country today? It's ugly. Why is it ugly? Because the hearts of men are ugly. Because when men come together and they say, let us build a name for ourselves, what ends up happening? Babel. But when the Spirit goes out and goes forth into the world and Christ says, let me build a city in my name, what does it bring? It brings peace and unity and beauty and richness of fellowship. This is the center of our lives. Because the Spirit brings covenant fellowship and peace. As Paul wrote of in Ephesians 5, this is the covenant fellowship and peace. And not only that, not only in the local church, but everywhere you go in the world and there are those who confess the name of Christ, you can hug them and you can call them brother and sister in Christ. And there is no eternal difference between you. As far as your pervasive identity, you are brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. Not only covenant fellowship and peace, but also there is the blessing of life to those who dwell in the valley of death. In the book of Ezekiel, chapter 37, in the whole of that chapter, I will not read it, (laughs) Ezekiel is taken, you know this, to a, a valley of dry bones. And there he sees these desiccated skeletons. A morbid picture, to be sure. And like many of the visions of the prophets, it pointed to something. It pointed at that time, clearly, to God's own people. And not only to God's own people, but when we look at this, it is all of God's people, past, present, and future, We are those, apart from the reviving work of God, who would be dead and dried and wasted on the ground. But this vision is not only about how it is we are made alive in terms of the doctrine of total depravity, of rebirth and renewal. It is about the kingdom and what God will do through his Messiah and by his Spirit. And so God calls, maybe it'll be shorter if I just read the chapter, but I'm going to try and summarize it for you. God says to Ezekiel, preach to these dry bones. And he does it. And then he's told to do it again. And then he's told to do it again. And as he prophesies, that's what preaching is. It is the art of prophesying. It is through the preaching of God's word that the spirit of God is breathed out on men. Life. Life comes from the pulpit. And as he prophesies, life begins to enter into these skeletal remains such that by the time he preaches, maybe we should have three services on Sunday. Guys, elders, take this down. Scripture proof for three services. No, that's not what's happening here. But what happens is they are transformed into a mighty army of God, not just risen people, but a vast, strong, mighty army 
And this is what the king, the Messiah, will do by his spirit. And so this then is what Ezekiel writes on behalf of God at the end of that chapter. Beginning in verse 25, Then they shall dwell in the land that I have given to Jacob my servant. What land? This land. Where does the river flow? It it flows throughout this earth. This is our land where your fathers dwelt. Where have our fathers dwelt? And they shall dwell there. They, their children, and their children's children. Abigail, your children. Abigail's children. And Abigail's great grand All of our children in Christ Jesus by his grace. This is our land. Why? Listen. My servant David shall be their prince forever. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them, and it shall be an everlasting covenant with them. I will establish them and multiply them, and I will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. My tabernacle also shall be with them. Indeed, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. The nations also shall know that I, the Lord, sanctify Israel when my sanctuary is in the midst forevermore. How is this prophecy fulfilled in the coming of Christ and in the pouring out of the Holy Spirit? You and I, dear saints, in Christ Jesus, are the sanctuary of God that dwell in the midst of the nations, and the nations are our inheritance. The nations do not belong to their kings and their presidents. They belong to us. What then is the call? To go out and proclaim the one who will bring them life. In fact, it is even here in the book of Revelation that there are kings who will come to Christ. And so what other blessing does the Spirit bring? Well, I put it this way. A world full of more of what the river brings. In fact, in Ezekiel's prophecy in 47, Ezekiel is standing there, and as the water comes forth from the temple, it gets his ankles wet. And then he notices, oh, it's growing to my... You know the Shel Silverstein? Oh my, it's up to my eye. You know that particular one? It goes up and up and up and up and up until it becomes a river that he cannot pass across. That is the spirit let loose upon the world. Here is why Christ comes to a saved world. Because the Spirit has already been poured out. And you cannot stop the Holy Spirit. What weapon can? What metaphorical, ideological, spiritual, cultural dam can stop up the flowing of the Holy Spirit? Name one. The Roman Empire... The secular experiment. All of these things are satanic designs to bring about the stopping up of the Holy Spirit. Here is what we need to do as a church. Let the Spirit do what the Spirit does. By proclaiming the true word, the whole counsel of God's word. And this is what the Spirit will do. He will grow the church He will make the city glad. It will grow into its full shape. And everyone who is allotted, everyone is decreed, everyone who has their names upon their foreheads given to them by God will be there. 
For God is not only the architect, but he's the builder. And that city into which God brings us is not only full of light, but it is full of light. And not the fluorescent halogen bulbs, but a glorious glowing of covenant favor and presence. Is this not who we are? And so therefore let your light shine before all men. Why? So that they may know the God, your God who is in heaven. Dear saints, may we shine the light. May we, by God's grace, cause the river to go forth. Let us pray. Lord.